0: Welcome to, welcome, to welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. We're gonna read up on a lot of plays and talk about them in many ways. So welcome to the show.
1: Welcome to the show. Welcome to Read More Plays, the comedy podcast about plays and the artistic process. I'm Jennifer Sassaman.
2: And I'm Ricardo Frederick Evans.
1: This week we are going to be talking about Tracy Letts' play that is designed to make you feel like you've got a healthy family dynamic, August Osage County.
2: August Osage County won both the Pulitzer Prize for Drama and the Tony Award for Best Play in 2008 and was made into a movie in 2014 starring Meryl Streep, Julia Roberts, and Benedict Cumberbatch.
1: Tracy Letts took the title of the play from the Howard Starks poem of the same name. Mr. Letts has actually said that Mr. Starks was a, quote, gentleman, teacher, poet, genius, mentor, and friend, and that he created that title for an extraordinary poem that is one of the inspirations for my play. I steal the title with deference, yet without apology.
2: I didn't know Tony Stark's father was a poet.
1: Not Howard Stark, the Marvel character who was an engineer and Iron Man's dad. Howard Starks, the actual human who was also a poet.
2: Oh, well, that's okay, too. I guess.
1: It's okay to be disappointed, buddy. Would you like to make the announcement about Sam's play? Would that make you feel better?
2: I think so. (laughs) This week, we want to let everyone know that our beloved sound engineer, Samuel Fitzhort did the technical direction for Theater Gigante's production of Will Eno's Title and Deed. This show will have just opened when this episode comes out. And if you're going to be in Milwaukee, Wisconsin between now and December 18th, you should absolutely check it out.
1: Not only is Sam the TD for this production, but Isabel Crawl directed it. You might have heard the incredible Community Voices message that Ms. Crawl left in Season 2 when she talked about the importance of non-mainstream theater in our episode where we were talking about the plays Everyman and Everybody. If you haven't heard that yet, go take a listen to Season 2, Episode 4, and then go see Title Indeed in Milwaukee.
2: I mean, not right now. Right no. now, we're going <laughs> to give the content warnings for Augusto Sage County and then do the hot takes. But you know, after this episode, then yeah, then yeah, give give that a listen.
1: That's a good timeline. <laughs> I, I like that 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 to do list.
2: Thank you, thank you, thank you. I thought I thought that through. <laughs> <laughs> so before we begin, we definitely need to give uh, a content warning about this play because it has some elements that might be triggering. In addition to being chock-a-block full of toxic relationships and massively mm-hmm. unkind behaviors, this play also shows kids smoking and experimenting with drugs, and older man seducing a 14-year-old girl, and has a character that commits suicide. And mm-hmm. as such, our conversations will likely touch on some or, some or all of these topics.
1: We know for some of you, uh, actually including me, these might be upsetting, especially the family dealing with the suicide. So if you're sticking around for the conversation, now you know what's coming. And if any of these things are too much and you want to sit this episode out, we completely understand. Next episode, we'll be discussing a musical for the first time ever on the podcast, yeah. big news. Uh, we'll be talking about Marcia Norman and Lucy Simon's Tony Award winning musical, The Secret Garden. And we look forward to having you back with us again.
0: Ooh.
2: Ooh. Uh, and now, quick before Jennifer bursts into song, <laughs> it's time for the hot takes.
1: <laughs> Delete hot takes. hot takes. See, I still burst into song.
2: <laughs> Delete <Diddly, laughs> hot takes. No
1: takes
2: <laughs> every episode we start off answering the same five questions to give you a quick look at our general impressions of the show
1: question number one what do you think is the best thing about this show
2: i the characters are are mm. all just so well drawn and compelling i mean like all of them it's really um the, yeah it's really it like it's a character driven piece it's big time the best thing about the show yeah so
1: easy easy, breezy simple
2: answer for that one
1: (laughs) my favorite thing is that this show has so much love in it so much love Mm -hmm. and humor the way that characters like maddie faye and charlie joke in their roles in the film version which you know the playwright wrote the screenplay as well. So you know it was all informed by the playwright. It was his intention. It changes the dynamic. If you just look at the words, it could be very cruel. I don't think you could bear this play Mm -hmm. if it was just all nonstop cruelty. But when it's played with love and silliness, it really complicates it beautifully.
2: Yeah, and I love that because that's real life.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like,
2: as, uh, you know, as much as we in our own relationships uh, can be mean to each other or mean to people who are close to us in our lives, mm-hmm. we are still compelled to, uh, um, to joke around mm-hmm. <laughs> and have fun. There's that history. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Um, <clears throat> uh, hot take number two. What do you see as the biggest problem with the text?
1: Well, there are a few language choices that are pretty shocking now that I don't think would have been considered super problematic in the mainstream in 2007. Mm -hmm. But really, this play is hard. And, you know, I'm all about it. Be a hard play. But if this is done correctly, it's going to make everyone either remember or anticipate the worst losses we'll ever experience Mm. in our lives. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of heartbreak to feel as an audience member. It's a lot of heartbreak for the actors to go through night after night. And I think that can be extraordinary, but I just think you should be aware (laughs) it's just it is. If it's not done right, then you're not doing the play right. And if it's done right, it's gonna be really hard.
2: It's gonna be so bad. Yeah, it's gonna be I mean I cried
1: Every time I I cried when I did my first read, I cried when I did the analysis, and I have read this play many times. I used to teach it in my directing class back mm. in the day. And uh so it's not like any of it took me by surprise, but it's still you're you're right, the characters are so beautifully drawn and so complex that it's it's really powerful. Yeah.
2: I uh I didn't really see anything with the text that was a problem. I feel like, though, because it's so hard, the material is so hard, it's just like, how do you market this? Like, do <laughs> you say, hey, guys, to come to the theater. Come in two hours, you can have your very own heart ripped out. <laughs> <laughs> you too. <laughs> and you can, can
1: experience this pain all vicariously.
2: <laughs> <laughs> come on out to the theater. <laughs> um, so I think that's the thing that is. it's just a challenge because... Yeah. Uh, but I feel like it's an, a necessary—it's uh, a necessary experience, a necessary theatrical experience in the way that it's done. So yeah, I find it very difficult to find a problem <laughs> with the text, other than man selling selling someone on the idea of coming in to, mm-hmm. to see such tragic. But again, at the same time, yeah, you do look at the story and you're like, hey, my family's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Come oh my to the God, theater. We're, a- we're actually killing about it. Your we're- family. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's it.
1: I mean, that's very much what I was saying. You know, it's not a problem with the text. I think the text yeah. is, I mean, it's so well written. It's such a good, good play. But just being aware that that is a potential problem. <clears throat> mm-hmm. What's your favorite quote from the play, Hate And number three.
2: Oh, this is um, interesting. And I feel like. Uh, there's a lot there are a lot but i i'm gonna settle on this one it's a barbara quote Mm -hmm. um she says the she says thank god we can't tell the future we'd never get out of bed (laughs) i mean that i'm reading uh, that
1: in my list of favorite quotes as you say it's like (laughs) yep that when you said it's a barbara quote i'm like i hope it's that one
2: (laughs) yeah that's it and it's you know that's kind of the 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 main part of the quote that I I really like. I mean, it it goes on from there, and it gets really, really... Like, the rest of that speech that she has there is really another, like, heart, um, tear-jerking, crushing soul. Like, (laughs) look at me, look at humanity, um, look at us, look at who we are type of a moment. But, uh, yeah, that was a really tough, uh, resonant uh, line for me. What about you?
1: That was one of my favorite quotes, my, one of my top two favorite quotes. So I'll go with my other one, which is also a Barbara quote. Uh, it's from a conversation she's having with her mother. Her mom keeps calling the Native American woman who's living with them an Indian and call, talking about Native Americans in general as, as Indians. And Barbara says to call them Native Americans. So Violet says, who calls them that? Who makes that decision? And her, Barbara says, it's what they like to be called. And Violet A white woman says, they aren't any more native than me. And Barbara says, in fact, they are. (laughs) I just love that line.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, If you were to work on this show, what production role would you want?
1: I would want to act in this one. I would love to play Barbara. I think she's very different from me. I think that she is really kind of hard and aggressive and uninterested in being polite or diplomatic, but I feel like her struggles are so recognizable. So I think I'd enjoy kind of throwing myself behind her energy and pushing against all the other characters the way she is doing. Uh, I also really love ensemble work. So if Mm -hmm. I was working with a director that I trusted and a group of actors that felt like family to me, I I would love that. I think this show would be a great environment to first build and then perform night after night.
2: Yeah. How about you? I, uh, well,
1: I think I want to be in the audience
2: for this show. I, yeah.
1: You could be Bill. You could be my husband.
2: <laughs> I could be Bill. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. I don't know. I thought about.
1: I mean, you could be. Yeah. Steve there wasn't too, any. Re- there wasn't but... really a role that,
2: like, yeah. There wasn't really a role that I that jumped out at me that like, I really wanted to play. But uh, I would love to see this show yeah. done well. Um. Maybe even stage manage it. But yeah, I didn't even feel like compelled to to want to direct it either. I don't know. There's. Mm-hmm. Not that there are, there isn't like juicy stuff. And if I had a, a group of amazing actors, it wouldn't like be be great. But yeah, I want to watch this.
1: <laughs> Final hot take: Which character in the play is the most like you? I'm the most like Karen. <laughs> <laughs> really? Just
0: kidding.
1: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I am hundred percent not at all like Karen.
2: <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that.
1: Oh, I mean, there are a few things world, wrong with this Karen. <laughs> this Karen is a little tone deaf. Hmm. This uh, okay. Karen is not great at reading the room. Yes. <laughs> also, this Karen is uh, not going to break up with her pedophile fiance when he <laughs> assaults her 14 year old niece. I see that as problematic.
2: Alright, so when I'm thinking when I'm thinking <laughs> about why Karen and I are alike, it wasn't because of those things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's because you want to talk about your happy new love life at the funeral when everybody is sad.
2: I feel, I feel like that was part of it. Like, and, uh, and I feel like historically or in the past, I may have had a lot in common with Karen in the fact that I felt like I, you know, may have uh, very often be, uh, showed up with a different partner <laughs> or boyfriend or whatever. Um, <laughs> and people were just like, wait, well, who's this one now? Uh, I mean, it wasn't that bad. But, uh, I mean, it wasn't, I didn't really date a lot of people, but I dated enough and I was like, immediately <laughs> you have to meet my family. <laughs>
1: I so, don't get the uh, impression that they are not; they're a new couple. I just get the impression that she doesn't go home very often. Yeah, yeah which is not yeah. like you. You are such a good family member. That's true. You're yeah. totally in everybody's lives.
2: I think there are. I think I have things in common with all of the the, uh, the sisters, um, but I feel like they all so so represent different uh, personality dynamics. Um, that I, I don't know. I really couldn't pick one. I think there were things about each one of them that I felt like I could relate to. Um, but it was hard. I don't know.
1: I think I'm the most like Charlie. Really? Yeah. I think that he is the way that he is so loving and nurturing to his son. I just felt like this is a perfect example of positive masculinity. I think he's very mm. playful with his wife and when things get bad, when he finally stands up to Maddie Faye, which is such a great moment, yeah, he's just like, I love you. I wouldn't trade our 38 years of marriage for anything. But if you don't start being kind to our son, we are not making it to 39. You know, it's still happening from yeah, a place yeah. of love. And he's just being really clear about a healthy boundary. I kind of wish it had happened maybe when little Charles was a bit younger. But... um I also think, you know, he says another thing in that section where he is saying, I don't understand how you and your sister can be so cruel to the people you love. It makes no sense to me. And when things went off the rails in this play, which they do frequently, that was my yeah. reaction. like, how could you talk to your child this way? How could you talk to your sibling this way? It's, uh, you know, I also think that, Obviously, Charlie didn't come from a place of trauma the way that Violet and Maddie Faye and Beverly all did. Clearly, there was mm-hmm. an incredible amount of physical violence and emotional abuse and and economic instability that they all experienced that then they're passing that generational trauma down to their children. Oh, my children. God. Yeah.
2: Generational but, baggage uh, was one of the yeah, things I had written down. Me, yeah.
1: too. So, but I, I really like Charlie, and I, 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 I recognized his kind heart.
2: Lovely. I, uh, I also, um, I also love that about Charlie, and I can, I can relate to that. Um, sweet. As always, we'd love to hear your hot takes. So, just a reminder, you can post them on our social media pages or send them to us in a voice message for us to play during our community voices section.
1: And now the section where I test Ricardo to see how well he knows the plot of August Osage County by giving him a quiz about what happens in the show. If you've read the play, you can take the quiz along with us as you listen. But if you haven't, this is a great way to get familiar with the story.
2: Just to set this up for those of you who did not read the play, August, Osage County is a story about the Weston family. Beverly and Violet Weston live in Pahuska, Oklahoma, and have been married for many years. The play opens to a prologue scene where we see that Beverly is an alcoholic and Violet is addicted to pills. But that's just the beginning. Watch out, the drama is on its way. Now, on to the quiz.
1: Just a reminder that if there are any questions you don't know the answer to, you can always use a lifeline and call our friendly neighborhood sound engineer, Sam, so he can give you the answer because Sam knows everything. Question number one, the play begins with what is called a prologue. Beverly Weston is in his study, drinking and interviewing someone. Who is he interviewing and what for?
2: Ah, uh, yes. What is past is prologue. He is interviewing um, a young woman named Jana for an mm-hmm. in-house um, uh, caretaker position, basically. Uh, and someone who will be able to take care of uh, cooking, cleaning, um, any needs that he may have, which he says probably won't be many, uh, and taking care of his wife, Violet,
1: mm-hmm. who...
2: Um, who uh, we learn has a touch of the cancer.
1: Yes, and we'll need somebody to drive her to her doctor's appointments. This mm-hmm. is correct. We also, this is the only scene where we see Beverly. It's an odd mm-hmm. role. <laughs> you have like basically a four page monologue at the start, and then you're done. Um, right.
2: I'll be at the bar. <laughs>
1: But yes, he uh, he interviews her in the scene and we see him drinking heavily and we see Violet um, so overwhelmed by the pills she's taken that it's very difficult to understand what she's saying. She's she is quite stoned um, and and we just sort of get a glimpse into what their life has been like and before everything changes. Good. Question number two. Act one, scene one takes a week after the prologue and many family members have come to the Weston homestead. Who is there and why have they all come today?
2: So let's see, there is uh, Barbara uh, who is one of, who is the oldest daughter of um, Violet and um, Beverly. Uh, And she is there with her husband, Bill and their daughter, Jean. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also Ivy who is there, who is the, um, who is the second youngest daughter of Violet and Leslie. Uh, there's also Beverly, the... Um, you said Violet and Leslie. Violet and Beverly. Sorry. Well, I'm thinking Beverly Leslie from
1: <laughs>
2: from uh, uh, Will and Grace. From everything. That, Les- that the late Leslie Jordan played. Yeah. May he rest in peace. Um, there's also Ivy, who is their second youngest daughter. Sorry. And there's also Violet's sister, Maddie Faye, with her husband, um, Charlie. Uh and they're all there because Beverly has gone missing, and no one mm-hmm. knows where he is. So they're all gathering together to support Violet uh, in this in this in this time of need.
1: Mm-hmm. Jonna is also there. The person who was the Cheyenne woman that was interviewed right. in the she opening was, scene hired. is now yeah. living there. Right. So Beverly's been missing for five days, and. Uh, And it's a week after the first scene. So basically Beverly interviewed this person. She accepted the job. She said she needed the job and moved in and he vanished.
2: Disappears. Mm -hmm.
1: Disappears. Bonus follow up. Violet has been calling the police who are checking hospitals and looking for him everywhere. And there is in the course of this scene an alarming thing the sheriff has discovered. What has been discovered?
2: Uh, is this the way they discovered his boat
1: is missing? Yes. Yeah. Beverly's pontoon boat is missing. Yeah. And I should say, you know, Barbara and Belle and Jean used to live in Oklahoma, but now they live in Boulder, Colorado. Ivy lives pretty close by and is there mm. regularly to help with her parents and and. This is the day that Ivy called Barbara to tell her that the dad had been missing for five days and their family gets on a plane immediately and comes to help. <clears throat> Charlie and Maddie Fay live about an hour and a half away in Tulsa, in the big city of Tulsa. Mm-hmm. All right, good. Question number three. In the next scene, Violet describes what happened when her husband left five days ago. They ate They ate some biscuits and gravy that John had made. And he just got up and walked out of the door without a word. And the next day she started to worry, but felt she had to wait to call the police until the next morning. So it was Saturday. He left Sunday by Sunday. She was starting to worry, but she felt she had to wait until the next morning because she had to get to the bank and clear out their safety deposit box. This was a pact Violet and Beverly had apparently made that if anything happened Mm -hmm. to one of them. One, the other one would get the cash and jewelry out of the safety deposit box so it wouldn't get caught up in probate. And then she called the police and has been frantic ever since. While she is telling this, she is messing up and slurring some of her words, which causes Barbara to declare, I will not go through this with you again. What does she mean? What won't she go through with her mom again?
2: She will not go through um, dealing with her mom's addiction to pills.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and breaking yeah, the addiction, the... too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes. This at some. The, this
2: is not the first time she's had to deal with it. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. At some earlier point, it's not specified how long ago this was. But at some earlier point, Violet got addicted to pills and went through rehab and came out clean. And so mm-hmm. Barbara is not interested in going through the chaos of having a drug-addicted mother again. Though Violet is saying she's only taking these pain meds because she's trying to deal with all of the pain she uh, has from That's this from cancer. from cancer, yeah. I also really liked in that scene, she points out that Barbara came home, like, the very day oh, she oh found my out gosh. her she was missing. But did not yeah. come home when her when mom was When she got her diagnosed. diagnosis.
2: Her- yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And That's I really, gut-wrenching. It is <laughs> it's gut-wrenching. Like Barbara, it's
2: like, hello, yeah. But
1: yeah. I also feel like, I, I like that Barbara immediately says, you're right, I'm sorry. That she's sorry. Yeah. yeah. She's really good at taking responsibility when she sees that she has messed up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So bonus follow-up, while that conversation is happening, the 14-year-old Jean goes to the attic, which is now Jana's <laughs> room, to ask yes. her to ask the cook-maid chauffeur if she'd like to smoke some pot with her. Which is, like, such a weird... <laughs> this whole thing is so weird. Uh, and when jonah says, no, thank you, uh, then Jean asks if she can smoke in her room because she thinks she'll get in trouble if she smokes anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, while she smokes, they talk, and we learn some details about Bill and Barbara's marriage. What is the current state of that relationship?
2: Oh, they are, uh, I guess you could say on the rocks, (laughs) Um, but yeah, they're basically, they're basically separated. I mean, Mm -hmm. they are separated. They, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) Bill has been, (laughs) he's been Lolita-ing, I guess you could say, (laughs) Uh, but he's dating, um, he's dating a much younger Woman. He's dating a college student. He
1: is a college Um, professor, and he's dating one of his students. Yeah,
2: he's dating one of his students.
1: Yes, they are separated. Bill has been sleeping with one of his students and has just kind of out of nowhere, from Barbara's perspective, left the marriage. She's pretty angry and devastated.
2: Yeah, and Gene tells um, Johnna not to tell, don't say anything about (laughs) this.
1: That they're trying to keep that under wraps. Yeah. Yeah. Question number four. As Bill and Barbara get ready for bed, Bill finds a copy of the book of poetry that Beverly wrote in the 1960s that won him some fame at the time. Barbara is frustrated and irritated by how jealous Bill is of her father's long ago success and the two fight about their marriage falling apart and Bill's affair with Cindy, the teenager he is dating. (laughs) When Bill tries to get Barbara to talk about this later, after the father's found and they go home, what truth bomb does Barbara drop on him?
2: Well, see, I think I know what you're, you're um, what you're saying, but I don't understand how this could really be a truth bomb. I feel like she's guessing it, though. She doesn't know for sure, right? She feels it. She says that her father is dead.
1: Yeah, she's certain. Yeah. that. So... One of the things we haven't yet. And that's about what it yet. is.
2: It's a a it's a feeling that she has, but it's not like it, it hasn't been it hasn't been validated yet. She does not she it's not like she's seen a body. She's not
1: She knows, even though nobody else has found it. One of the things that is happening.
2: But she's she thinks it or she she thinks it because she feels she knows because she feels she's felt it. She hasn't actually gotten confirmation yet, I guess, is um what I'm saying.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? It's yeah. still a really bit it's a bomb of a statement.
2: But it leaves you saying, "How does she know?" I feel like um, at that moment.
1: Mm-hmm. But I also feel like you know she's in her late forties. She knows her parents quite well. When she got the news from Ivy, Jean has described her completely freaking out. She she just knows. Sometimes we know these things. Yeah, um, and even though. It's even a little bit more surprising because there's all this discussion at the start of the actual play, not in the prologue, about how, oh, sometimes he just has run off. He's done this before, but this is different. Ivy also says this is different. Maddie Faye says Mm -hmm. this is different. I think everybody knows this. Um, I mean, and Violet knows it, too, because the whole deal was if something happens, we clear out the safety deposit box. So she's certain that something has happened. So most of the the man's relatives believe that he is dead. It's just Barbara Mm -hmm. is the first one to say it out loud.
2: Out loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And bonus follow up. The next, you know, the next line (laughs) in the text says, you know, tells you that there are police lights flashing and and John is waking people up. Uh, so moments later, scene four brings in what terrible news.
2: That they found his body. Uh, he drowned yeah. uh, in the lake. Yeah, he was uh, caught on um, uh, some jug lines or something like mm-hmm. that, or really early in the morning. Yeah, so, yeah. He, he
1: Beverly drowned. is dead. <laughs> he mm-hmm. he's Bill asks the sheriff if there's any way to know if he if this was an accident or if this was suicide. And the Mm -hmm. sheriff says there's no way to know. But the sheriff assumes that this was suicide, although Mm -hmm. it will only say cause of death drowning Mm
0: -hmm. in
1: in the official death certificate. He also says that someone who is a blood relative needs to go and identify him. And when Barbara goes off to get dressed so she can do this he tells Bill some kind of alarming details about the state of a body that's been in the water for three days and how he needs to (laughs) prepare his wife for what she's going to see. All right. Question number five. Act two opens after Beverly Weston's funeral. A few days later, Barbara and her baby sister, Karen, newly arrived, are getting the table set for a big lunch. Karen goes on endlessly. Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, it is like a four-page monologue about how happy she is with her new fiancé, Steve. It just feels like a seriously tone-deaf monologue after one's father has passed away. Meanwhile, upstairs, Violet is trying to get Ivy to put on a pretty dress instead of her black pantsuit. She tells her that Ivy doesn't know how to attract a man, women aren't sexy when they're older. And finally, Ivy snaps and tells her mother and her aunt, Maddie Faye, something. What does she snap and tell them?
2: She tells them that she got some man. Ooh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have a man.
2: So, what, 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 what?
1: I know. It is so adorable. I love that scene. There's actually one of the stage directions that really charms me is. Um, you know, they're like, tell us everything we want to know. And I was like, wait, no, never mind. I'm. Uh. And uh, yeah. Maddie faces. Uh, you have to tell us something. And I says, no, I really don't. And Violet says, are you in love, Ivy? And she goes, I, I, I don't. I'm. Uh. And it says she bursts into awkward laughter and exits down the second floor hallway. Violet and Maddie Faye squeal and follow Ivy off. And this is what I mean by this play. The the horrible heartbreak and, and toxicity of this play is balanced by this delight and love and curiosity and fun. This <laughs> is so cute. But it's
2: like so fragile though i mean you think of when you think about it especially when you go back and <laughs> the again, or even go back and watch the movie again it's like you know if the truth had really come out in this moment
1: yeah well it's you like, know it's like what like barbara <laughs> says if if we knew the truth we wouldn't get out yeah. of bed if
2: we knew the future we wouldn't get out yeah. of bed yeah thank god
1: we can't tell the future we'd never get out of bed
2: so
0: oh.
1: <sighs> meanwhile bonus follow-up question in the other room while the squealing and giggling is going on uh what is Karen's Mr. Dreamboat perfect up to
2: he is this when he is uh smoking is smoking the devil's lettuce with uh Gene
1: no that's not when he's smoking with her but it is it's kind of what sets that up Gene is sitting there watching Phantom of the Opera the old restored movie on the TV The col- color
2: Colorized version, yeah.
1: Of and uh, uh, to call a lifeline.
2: I'm gonna need a lifeline on this one.
1: Oh, a lifeline! Uh... Call the lifeline.
2: <laughs> All right, holding please. Connecting now to one, Mr. Samuel Fitzwater Please beep, beep beep beep
1: beep beep beep.
2: <laughs> All right, so he starts hitting on her, and she she's 14 at this time. Uh, although she does tell him that she's 15, as if that makes this. Any better. Um, and eventually starts smelling her and offers her cannabis, and then she goes, Well, yeah, I just smoked my last bowl and I really need to get fed up. And then he tells her that he'll get some pot for her later. Yes. Thanks, Sam.
1: Question number six just before the big lunch scene, it's like the big scene. There's a quiet interlude on the front porch between Ivy and her cousin, little Charles. What do we learn from their conversation?
2: We learn that Charles is, in fact, the man (gasps) (laughs) that Ivy is seeing. Mm
1: -hmm. Little
2: Charles, her cousin, little Charles.
1: They are kissing cousins.
2: They are, in fact, kissing cousins are so adorable.
1: It's so weird because it's <laughs> like the healthiest relationship in the show. And they're cousins. <clears throat> and, you know, maybe I've just watched too much Game of Thrones. I'm like, well, uh, I mean, cousins just to <laughs> date, the- marriage. Is it really that bad? <laughs>
2: I mean, are they're, they who are they hurting? Who are they hurting? Who they're they hurting? really
1: not hurting anybody. They're finally they're got not. something decent in their lives. All right, good, correct. Question number seven lunch the big scene, okay, mm-hmm. so there's this big lunch after the funeral for Beverly uh and there's a lot of general chatter and eating with both like some lovely conversation and a lot of dysfunction and toxicity. Violet in particular, I mean, Maddie Faye is horrible to little Charles, but also Violet is just getting uglier and uglier in her comments about her family. Um, Barbara says that she feels attacked and what does Violet reveal about being attacked?
2: Oh, she reveals that, uh, uh, she doesn't know anything but she says she you don't know anything about being attacked basically uh i'll tell you about being attacked she was attacked uh, but her sister (laughs) her sister um was the one who was there for her and she's got like hammer dance uh (laughs) hammer dance in her head or in her skull Mm -hmm. basically because Mm -hmm. she um uh, uh intervened when her sister was being um attacked
1: yeah but one of her, their one of Maddie Fay and Violet's mother's boyfriends came after Violet with a claw hammer, mm-hmm. and it was only Maddie Faye intervening that kept him from attacking her, assaulting her, killing her, whatever. It also comes out in that scene that Beverly's family was homeless and living in their car for six right. years While when he, he was a boy,
2: a little boy, yeah,
1: age four to age ten. So we get. A, a glimpse into the very ugly pasts that that the three of them, Violet, Maddie Faye, and Beverly mm-hmm. all experienced as children. And it's true. It really does make the unhealthy relationships that that the Weston sisters experienced pale in comparison. Like, it's one thing right. to have unhealthy relationships with your parents. It's another thing to be physically attacked and almost murdered by your mom's boyfriend. It's another yeah. thing to be homeless and living in your car for six years. These are different levels of intensity. Not that what happened to, to I'm trying to say Violet and Beverly, not that what happened to Ivy, Barbara and Karen wasn't bad, but I, I, I do think it's, it's interesting to hear about the trauma that they experienced
2: yeah and that's I think that's a universal I feel like that's a universal theme uh in many people's lives mm-hmm. the The sense that you know the, the sacrifices that our uh, previous generations have made for us so we don't have to um, and then sort of the the I guess denial of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, of that sacrifice by the younger generations or the ignorance of that sacrifice by the younger generation, partially due to the fact that, you know, protecting the younger generations meant keeping that information from them. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, really? <laughs> who's who's the bad guy? But, yeah, I mean, I don't even know if there is a bad guy in that. But the that's what that's I what, think that's, that's one of the p-
1: things that the play is saying. It's not... Yeah so cut and dry you can't just say well this is the bad guy and this is the good guy it's we are all walking around with a lot of trauma some of us with a lot more than others and Mm -hmm. often the people with the bigger share of trauma if they have not sought any kind of counseling are then visiting that trauma on the people they love bonus follow up and then what happened (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like the whole act two is just the lunch scene, like setting up and then the lunch itself. And it all culminates in this giant. What is the biggest moment of the play?
2: So (laughs) the biggest bombshell, I think, is when Barbara, you know, finally connects the dots or at least finally says out loud to her mother um, that she's. You know she's using again. Basically, she's addicted. She's on pills again. Um, she uh, pretty much orders a search of the whole house to get rid of all the pills yep. um, to put a stop to this. Um, and she tells she tells her that she's running things now. All I'm the cabs. captain now.
1: <laughs> <All> caps. Yes, <laughs> it's I'm running Captain things. Phillips now. Moment.
2: Yes, um, yes. That's yes, what I thought she... of.
1: <laughs> She accuses her mom of being a drug addict. Violet's like, yep, yeah, you see this bag of pills? They're my best friend. I mean, the reason why Violet <laughs> is being so horrible is because she's taken a great number of she's pills. She's so high. Yeah. And to get the pills away from her, Barbara has to physically assault her mother over the yeah. dining room table. So they're they're supposed to be at this funeral luncheon and it turns into a fist fight with her own mother and everybody's screaming and presumably food is flying everywhere and and then yes yeah, she yeah. orders which this is why if you make house. it to
2: dessert at your family dinner you're doing pretty good
1: yes <laughs> keep this in mind this thanksgiving this
2: thanksgiving do
1: you make it to dessert without lunging across <laughs> the table and physically assaulting your mother you're killing it <laughs> good on you all
2: right (laughs) you get more of your cranberry sauce in your stomach than on your clothes (laughs) you had a great holiday
1: (laughs) act three starts in the evening after the big lunch scene uh things are calmer the weston sisters are sitting around talking drinking and barbara asks ivy point blank if she is in a relationship with little Charles. And at first, Ivy is like, I'm not comfortable. I'm not sure I want to talk about that. But then she does say that they have something beautiful and rare that very few people ever have. Not sure how she knows that other people don't have this, but okay. Uh, And they're planning on moving to New York very soon. We even see a little bit of their relationship when they sit quietly and watch TV together in this same scene. And little Charles sings a quirky love song that he wrote for her. Uh, and of course their sweet moment is broken up by his parents coming in the room and Maddie Faye continuing to be absolutely horrible and abusively shaming him while her husband, as we talked about earlier, uh, quietly he's quietly been putting up with this the whole play we we get this satisfying moment where charlie stands up and tells her that while he wouldn't trade their 38 years of marriage for anything if she can't find it in her heart to be kind to her own son they won't make it to their 39th anniversary okay all good things more or less so far however as soon as charlie leaves maddie Fay sees barbara And she asks her if there's something on between Ivy and little Charles. When Barbara confirms there is something going on between Maddie Faye, nope, between Ivy and little Charles, what does Maddie Faye tell us?
2: That little Charles is their brother. Yep. (laughs) They're half-brother, basically. Uh, uh, Beverly, Beverly and Maddie Faye, you know, had a thing for a second, <laughs> just long enough to make a little baby, and little Charles is the result of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so he's their little brother. Yep. And he's Ivy's half-brother.
1: Although, like, I was wondering about this. She's Ivy's half-brother, but aren't Violet and Maddie Faye essentially genetically the same. So isn't he kind of almost like a full brother? (laughs) Um, (laughs) That is correct, though. That's the answer.
2: (laughs) I don't have the answer to that.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, 45 years ago, there was an affair. We don't know how long. We also know that in in the opening scene, Maddie Faye says she introduced... Uh, Beverly and Violet to one another.
2: Oh yeah,
0: yeah. And
1: Charlie's like she Introduced. was supposed to go on a
2: she was supposed to go on a date with him, but she yeah. sent her sister. She sent uh, Violet instead, right?
1: Yes. So yeah. there was something between.
2: How else do you introduce someone?
1: <laughs> Maddie Fay and Violet, or Maddie Fay yeah. and Beverly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, so next question: As if Act Three, Scene One wasn't skin crawling enough, Act Three, Scene Two shows us 50 year old steve and 14 year old Jean sneaking around in their pjs late at night to smoke pot together steve then starts trying to touch her boobs and get physical with her gene at first kind of tries to push him away but then he turns the lights off and we can hear them moaning and getting intimate um then what happens
2: <laughs> and then lovely Jana. Comes in and <laughs> whacks the shit out of him. Uh, with uh, wait, does she have a shovel? No, or
1: something. She had a cast a iron skillet. a skillet.
2: Fri- a skillet, yes. Uh, <laughs> I think in the movie, in the movie, it was a, sh- was it in the uh, shovel in the movie? Maybe it was a skillet both times, but something very hard and very cast mildly.
1: iron skillet. That's a murder weapon. I mean, that will do yeah. some damage. Uh, yes.
2: And she like draws blood. Uh, Or she misses. She swings. She misses. Right, right, swings right at his face and misses. And then uh, she draws blood, uh, and then knocks him down. (laughs) He goes down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I don't know how they did it in the movie. I didn't get that far Uh, in the play.
2: Yeah, the movie. In the movie, they're not like in in the house. It's an exterior scene in the movie. Yeah, that was one of the things I wanted to talk about in the. show analysis or whatever and like did this the how they oh it does say steve
1: goes down (laughs) yeah yeah i I thought that that
2: was hilarious (laughs) steve goes down (laughs)
1: misses his face then hits his hand and he grimaces in pain and then connects squarely with his forehead steve goes down
2: (laughs) steve goes down (laughs) he
1: does wake up though pretty quickly yeah i think
2: So it's an exterior scene in the movie and they're outside and they're um, fooling around outside. So they're not like in night clothes or whatever. Um, Well, I don't think we need to bring that. But Jonna sees them from the window and then she grabs the, the instrument and goes out and attacks.
1: I think it's very important. The stage directions say like he's reaching for her. Oh, and he's got that really disturbing line where gene says you're going to get us both in trouble and he says i'm white and over 30 i don't oh my god yes
2: yes Mm. Uh.
1: and then it says he turns off the light total darkness so you're hearing this heavy moaning from steve in the dark but i think you know if you're casting someone who looks 14 they're probably quite young i mean you could probably cast someone who was of age who was small
0: Mm. but
1: um you know if you're casting anything age appropriate the playwright has given you the space to have you know have them saying sort of problematic words but not any physical contact any actual contact between mm-hmm. the adult older actor and the young female actress which i'm grateful yes
2: for. folks it's not necessary it's not necessary to tell the story to actually molest a, a child
1: yes yes <laughs>
2: I mean, Thank I'm you, gonna Tracy say
1: Litz. it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yes. Uh, I, and then once you know everybody runs in because there's all this screaming, and uh, Jonna tells people that he was kissing and grabbing <laughs> her, and the stage direction tells us that Barbara attacks Steve and is stopped by Bill. And part of me is like. Why isn't Bill attacking Steve? What dad is like, oh, this 50-year-old, this man who's older than me, just assaulted my 14-year-old daughter. Let me Mm -hmm. stop my wife. Why wouldn't he join in? Hand me that skillet, Jonna.
2: Yeah, but I feel like, yeah, in a lot of ways, that's her attacking him um, because he's sort of guilty of the same thing, maybe, in her heart.
1: Well, Um, you know... Once Karen gets Steve out of there and it's just the parents with their child, I, I, I thought at first they were trying to help her. And she mm-hmm. really lashes out at them and says all these hateful things to her parents as only a troubled a teenager. teenager can do. Yeah. Um, and Bill is trying to say, he you're 14 years old. She's got the great line which is only a few years younger than you like
2: him. That's a great line. Oh, burn, sick burn, teenager burn.
1: But it makes Barbara slap her, which I don't understand. Like, she's saying- And out, that's like, her
2: mother coming out, too. That's her mother coming
1: out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Violet even says at one point, Jean says, Mom, you're such a liar, and- And Barbara had said in that big lunch scene, you know what happened to me if I called my mother a liar? Yeah, it is her mom coming out and her grandmother coming out and presumably many generations of trauma coming out. Yeah. So Jean shouts, I hate you. Barbara shouts, I hate you, too. And everyone but Barbara leaves. Awesome. Good times. Once again like to commend all of you who are not having a thanksgiving that went like this good job (laughs) all right last question in the final scene of the play which takes place two weeks later barbara is staying with her mom for a while everyone else has gone back to their homes Um, the two are struggling with their own losses there's one more deeply unsettling meal (laughs) This time, it's just between Violet and her two older daughters where Ivy is trying to tell Violet about her relationship with little Charles. And Barbara is trying very hard to deflect this confession. When Violet blurts out, before before Ivy can say, I'm having this relationship, Violet's like, oh, yes, yes, I know that little Charles is your brother. I knew Beverly had that affair long ago. And uh, Ivy is destroyed by this news and she leaves telling them you will never see me again violet then tells barbara when they're alone that she knew that Vi- that ivy and little charles were having this affair and uh, she was telling her this way so that ivy would be a good girl and end it uh, but she has <laughs> one more piece of news that drives her final child away presumably for good what does she kind of accidentally let slip to barbara the end
2: well uh i love this scene i mm-hmm. uh and before i answer that i will say that there was a, an honorable mention for one of my favorite lines when this reveal happens and uh, violet says yeah i it's better you girls know now though now you're older never know when someone might need a kidney <laughs> <And> <laughs> like, so i was like ouch that's so terrible but it's like this horrible moment for ivy <laughs> She's like, I'm doing you a favor here. Um But uh we find out that Violet actually knew where Beverly was um the weekend he disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um she knew he was uh, she knew he was at this motel. Um because he left told, a note. Because he left a note. And it's this like, is the first I'm going time. to this
1: hotel. Call me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And um, instead of that, she waited till Monday to go empty the safety deposit box. And had she actually called him, he might still be alive. And that was the thing that bothered Barbara so much. Made perfect sense. Like she yeah. wouldn't have needed to go to the safety deposit box if she just went to Beverly. So yeah, um, yeah she could have. Their father you know,
1: might still be alive. She yeah. could
2: have prevented his suicide. Um, and then yeah, Barbara pieces out of there. She gets out.
1: Yep. What a happy ending. And yeah, and and Violet is left on the ground weeping Mm -hmm. and Jonna is comforting her. And Violet is just saying, and then you're gone, gone, and then you're gone, and then you're gone, and then you're gone, and then you're gone. And And Jonna is singing to Violet, um, this is the way the world ends, this is the way the world ends which is the end line of the T.S. Eliot poem, The Hollow Man, that the play begins with Beverly quoting when he says, life is long, Mm T.S. Eliot. (laughs) That is in The Hollow Man. And then this is one of the few lines of poetry I always know because it's in Stephen King's The Stand. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. But but John is just mm-hmm. saying this the way the world ends.
2: I was I was juxt- I was juxtaposed that, and I was sitting here thinking it <laughs> not with the uh, whimper but with a bang.
1: <laughs> no wait,
2: no no, that's not right. Um,
1: <sighs>
2: yeah, that's it.
1: Hopefully, the overview and quiz questions have given you a clear sense of what happens in this show. If you'd like a more detailed outline of the plot, you can check out the summary of the play we have in the synopsis section of our website. There's a link to this in the podcast show notes episode description. Now we're going to move on to the analysis section.
2: Plays were meant to be seen, not read, but... Before a production is ready to be seen by audiences, even before rehearsals and production meetings begin, the job of the theater artist is to come to a deeper understanding of the text by looking at it through an analytic lens. In this section, we'll get to know this play a little better by talking about it through a single piece of analysis.
1: This week, we're going to be using a technique called Meaning of the Title. This is a technique that Francis Hodge lists in the idea section of his book Play Directing. In that chapter, this is what he writes. He says, when a title is supported by an insightful analysis of the action, the director has a guiding metaphor that will bring the playwright's ideas closer. So the way you do this technique is you do a little digging into what the title means. <laughs> so this play is called August, Osage County. It also takes place in Paw Huska, And even though nothing is said on this front, if you do a Google search, you can see that Paul Huska is a town in Osage County in Oklahoma, population 45,000-ish. But Tracy Letts has been very clear that he took the title of his play from the Howard Starks poem of the same name, August, Osage County. So I sort of started from the place of what, why is this called august osage county the word august is only mm-hmm. used at one mm-hmm. point in the whole play and that's at the start of act two when violet's sort of talking to herself and sort of talking to the idea of beverly and he she says august your month and then she says of course it's only august out there in here who knows so that's it that's the only time anybody says august And uh, so then once you find out that there's a poem, then the question is, well, what is the poem? What's it about? What does it say? So I looked up the Howard Starks poem. So the Howard Starks poem is about a a woman who's 86, who is on her deathbed and surrounded by her family. And it's just, you know, a regular mom, grandmom, great-grandmom, wife, and uh, it's the end of her life. And And she's surrounded by people who absolutely, you know, love her and will miss her. And they take care of her until her time is up. And it's very much the opposite of what Violet is in store for by the end of this play. So (laughs) this is, you know, the poem touches on themes of aging and the passage of time. Which are similar to what's going on for uh, our friends in the Weston household. But
2: um, it really does. It I have really to say... changes
1: things. <laughs> I'm sorry. When you try to.
2: I have to say, I uh, I really appreciate no, the poem, um, and I I really appreciate I appreciate the play and the poem, but I really appreciate the poem. It's a little bit closer to home, I think, to what I experienced in the, in uh, the matriarch of my family passing as well, <laughs> a lot more loving. Um, right. uh So I really, really appreciate that part yeah. of the poem. Um, but i appreciate the play too because it's so fantastic uh and so uh dramatic <laughs> you know that um and and, and mm-hmm. at the same time i thought that what what was happening uh what was happening uh, to my mom was so dramatic uh but uh, but you know it was actually it was actually beautiful and it was actually um a, an experience filled with uh, yeah. loving things Family members being there for each other. Um, And you don't, you know, you kind of don't think about that maybe in in the moment, but. No,
1: because you're in the midst of the worst heartbreak of your life.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, but it's super interesting. I can appreciate both. uh, But from the the perspective of your
1: mother, like Mm -hmm. you were experiencing the loss of your mother from your Mm -hmm. heartbreak. But from the perspective of your Mm -hmm. mother, to be surrounded by people who were so loving and there for her every second you know that's a beautiful transition for her and and it just makes everything that much starker the way beverly chose to end his life the way violet's life looks like it's gonna go
2: if you're curious about the techniques we have used on this or other episodes of the show. You can find out more information about them on our website. There is also a link to that in the show notes. And remember, it doesn't matter what techniques you choose. Taking the time to comb through a text with a deliberate analytic task will always result in a clearer sense of what that show is about.
1: It is now dramaturgy time. This is the section where we each share an example of something we learned while doing research on the show. Ricardo, what did you do? Where where were you digging down?
2: Okay, so my dramaturgy has to do with the fact that, uh, you know, I often wonder, you know, how much are things based on real... Uh, experiences, You know, what do playwrights pull from their own experiences, their own life experiences, their own history, their own family histories? And uh, the story of August Osage County, according to an NPR article, uh, came from his own experience. Uh, Tracy Letts, the author. Oh, uh, it, it, I
1: did notice that the play was dedicated to his dad. <laughs> I was like, yikes.
2: Yes, it says, in fact, his actor father, Dennis Letts, played the role of the grandfather on stage. Um, it's based on family history. Tracy Letts uh, tells an NPR tra- tells NPR's Scott Simon. My grandfather, my mother's father, committed suicide when I was ten years old, um, and his grandmother descended into years of downer addiction, which had an horrible impact on his family and rippled, rippled through his family even to the day that this article uh, came out yeah and this was 2014. I did
1: not know that
2: yeah and I thought that was I thought that was fascinating um' it's just absolutely fascinating so yeah that's what I uncovered um yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> so my dramaturgy, I want to talk a bit about menopause. <laughs> I was right. typing the note. <laughs> I, I was just, while I was doing my analysis, I typed this note. Barbara seems like a heriton because she's finally done with pretending the bad isn't that bad. She's too broken by what Bill has done to her to fake things convincingly anymore. And then it kind of clicked. I was like, oh, wait. And then I said, I don't know if Tracy Letts did any research on this front, but there is a chemical change that happens in in women during menopause. And Barbara's character keeps saying like, oh, hot flash, hot flash. Uh, She says it several times. And it reminded me of an article my cousin sent me a couple of years ago. Um, This was a Caitlin Moran art column in the Sunday Times in 2020. And I'll put a link to this in the show discussion notes. And she starts off saying how (laughs) if you're dealing with menopause or perimenopause, I think it's useful if you've done some drugs in your life. (laughs) (laughs) She talks about it. She says that because if you've done drugs then you know what it's like to come off a high. Like Saturday night, you're like shouting, I love you at strangers and dancing on tables. And then Sunday morning, you're like, I want to curl up in a ball. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so what she says is that when, from basically the age that your period starts, so it, she says that her period started when she was 13, Um, she's, you know, all women are regularly bathed in estrogen, progesterone, and t- testosterone. And she says, you can Wikipedia what these hormone drugs do, and their functions are many, varied, and amazing. But <laughs> but now that my body is running out of them, I can tell you what their primary effect is. They make you a bit stoned and lovely. That's my scientific analysis. <laughs> the hormones of a fertile woman just make you nicer. All those gendered cliches about women that were kinder, kinder, gentler, more patient, more encouraging, more self-sacrificing. That's because we're kind of high on nature's sexy volume. <laughs> we're pleasant company. When you're of childbearing age, it's sensible that your hormones make you generally forgiving because small children are quite regularly terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's this idea that as these hormones stop getting produced in your body, she, she says, a fertile woman's life is Friday night, 8 p.m. A peri-or-menopausal woman's life feels like Sunday morning. Suddenly, the poor behavior of other adults comes sharply into focus as you deal with your hormonal hangover. You don't have any lady forgiveness left in the tank.
2: <laughs> lady forgiveness.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh.
1: And... It's so interesting to think about to think about Barbara through this lens. Yeah, like yeah, she has no lady forgiveness left. And I, and at I, first I thought I it was, love
0: it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yes, at first I thought it was all about Bill, but then mm-hmm. I thought, well, but it's also her. She is. It's not just that she has been horribly betrayed by this man. It's not just that her mother is a very very complicated person to have love for it's also that she doesn't she doesn't have that what does she say the lovely warm syrupy rushes of serotonin <laughs> yeah she's uh she's sunday morning and she's just not putting up with stuff anymore which is amazing but it's also a little jarring i think it's really important that the character of barbara is in her late 40s yeah because you wouldn't expect you know, a mother in her mid-30s to be acting that way. And so I think that there is not a whole lot talked about what happens to the female body during menopause. And uh, I think that that explains a lot of the character or it helps. It just adds another very realistic dimension to her.
2: Yeah, well done, Tracy <laughs> <Fraser> let's <laughs> They give out the Pulitzers for a reason.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That boy did his research on menopause.
2: Okay, somebody did their homework. I'm going to say, somebody has a wife who went through menopause
1: and said, read this article.
2: If you would like to learn more about the research and analysis we did for this play, we post all our findings on the Patreon. So if you sign up to be a supporter there, you can see everything that we uncovered. (laughs)
1: Now that we've gotten familiar with the structure of the play, we get to talk about our reactions to the text and our artistic interpretations of how a play like this could be brought to life. And I really feel like we have to start with the set. Okay. Because Great. Because the way it's described in the script, you're seeing multiple rooms all at once.
2: Right and I'm thinking the places where I could produce this now if I were to like let's put this on right away, I couldn't do it. no one couldn't be done. nope <laughs> couldn't be all right. done.
1: <clears throat> When the show came out first at Steppenwolf in Chicago and then moved to Broadway, obviously the writing and the direction and the acting all got tremendous positive reaction from critics from audiences. But the, but the set also was a big part of mm-hmm. what people were reacting to. It's almost like a, a bisection of the house. Be, yeah. so it's like they took the house, cut in the middle, and then you're looking yeah. at all of it at once. It's a big dollhouse on stage. So you can see someone in the dining room and on the porch and and on the second floor landing and up in the attic. So you can see all of those things happening at once. It's written and described that you're seeing life happen all over and that the lighting and the noise itself is what pulls your focus where it needs to be. I <laughs> found myself wondering, I've, I've seen the pictures from the original Broadway production. It's amazing. I just found myself wondering if this could be done in the round or in alley configuration so that the actors could be facing each other more naturally i love the idea of the audience being all around this play and looking in i also think that to achieve that the walls and the furnishings would have to be so bare so skeletal so suggested that it was almost it would almost be like every wall in the mm-hmm. house was a fourth wall so <laughs> something that everybody was in deliberately not seeing or deliberately Placing in front of themselves. I I think this underscores the willful suspension of disbelief that they're all engaging in, and that I think most of us, at least at one time or another, engage in to pretend that the bad isn't that bad. The bad isn't there. Like when Karen leaves with Steve at the end and she's like, I'm Hmm. going to Belize in January. So heartbreaking. (laughs) It's kind
0: of like, oh Uh, she is
1: trying. Trying. To, like, put that wall up over him seducing her 14-year-old niece. Trying not to see it. <sighs> but there are some big decisions that people have to make in terms of the set.
2: Yeah, it's a lot.
1: It's a big old jungle gym. Just do it at a playground <laughs> on a jungle gym. <laughs> Site-specific theater.
2: Yeah, or just have the audience follow you from the I wonder if room. you could
1: do... <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. I wonder if you could do one of those site-specific plays where you mm-hmm. like wander around the house. It's it's really cool. I've read so many interesting descriptions of productions like that, but it's kind of like you could sell three tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good luck.
2: You could. Fill the house.
1: Making. You
2: can fill the house. Breaking so even. We are sold out for the rest of the run.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there are more people in this play than are in our audience. Rule number one more people need to be in the audience than are in the play.
2: <laughs> mm. Um. So, one of the things <laughs> uh and I know you said you you you've seen a little bit of the film
1: I've seen almost um, all of the film,
2: so there are some things in the film, and you know there are some things that are different from the film versus the the actual the script itself um curious because the playwright is also the screen the author of the screenplay <laughs> um but there were some adaptations made, there's some adjustments made, some uh some uh, mm-hmm. different takes uh, and some things that were were added some things that were left out um, and I always think that that's interesting and I always love it when it's actually the same uh, the same artist uh, who does the, the, the script and the, the screenplay um, so I thought there were some interesting moments that were left in specifically the scene in the play when um, when Steve um, basically assaults um, uh, gene and in the script it's handled it's handled a different way than it is on the screen uh, in the script it's it, it, I feel like it, you actually get much more information that makes it clear what's happening but on screen it seemed a little bit more muddy even though it was very clear to Jana on screen Um the, to the audience it was all in the dark it was outside it was uh, yeah it was at night it was like uh, you don't really you don't really see um, you don't really have a, a, I guess a clear understanding or clear yes or no what happened um, but I feel like it's more I feel like it's more obvious in the script you know what I mean
1: well and it almost it's almost like the film is a production of the of the script. So you could see it at Steppenwolf, you could see it at, you know, ART, you could see it at Actors Theater Louisville, you could see it anywhere in the country and there would mm-hmm. be these subtle differences and they might find a way to stage it the way that they did in the movie. You're given the words, you're given the description, you're given the stage direction. Um I just I I I like the way I read it which was a lot clearer that Steve was a right, super no question. predator.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. He's
1: still being creepy and predatory in the movie but it's it's a little watered down and maybe they wanted to play it yeah, safe. Yeah, I got that I sense know. actually. I got, they got that sense. bare bones with everything <laughs> else. <laughs> but yeah, I felt like I I feel like Jonna is so bright and she's so mellow about all of this crazy stuff that's happening all around her. And the only thing that she will not stop for a second is when she sees an old man Mm
0: -hmm. molesting
1: a young girl. And so I I think that it's important for Jonna's actions for it to be as clear as it is the way it is scripted. Yeah, that's what I
2: I kind of feel that way, too.
1: Another random point: Karen is a real estate agent in Florida in 2007.
2: Oh no! Her life oh, no. is. She needs to go to Belize. She really <laughs> needs to go to Belize is- and hold on and hold on to that memory and not come back, oh, honey. Yeah.
1: Sell everything. <laughs> oh, no. Sell oh, everything. God. Oh no! And don't come back. That's awful. <laughs> You're marrying a pedophile. And you're a real estate agent. That was
2: another reason why I related to her. I was like, oh, I've been a real estate agent.
1: (laughs) Did you notice, I didn't notice in the first read, but there was a story that they tell. They're talking about how Violet doesn't turn on air conditioning, how she wants it really, really hot. And she told that story. Barbara tells the story Mm -hmm. about the parakeets. Do you remember that story? I
2: love that story, actually, for some reason. I mean, I don't love it. I don't love it, but... I feel like it's it, it's quite memorable what do you
1: what do you remember about it? What do you remember about it
2: about how the all the parrots basically were killed because of the heat that one she murdered them she yeah. she so
1: but if you were if you're gonna be like, oh, let me tell you this story about mom.
2: Oh, how would I tell it? I would say, well, she um, really wanted to have a bird in the house and she <laughs> she went to the she went to the pet store, bought a bird home, and then all of a sudden the bird died and she was really upset. So she went back to the bird store. She was like, "You know, this one died. She give me another one." They they did. Um, she took it home and 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 it died in even less time than the first one died. So she went back to the pet store raising all kinds of hell, and they like gave her a third one. Again, same thing happened. Then Finally the person from the pet store came out to the house and is like, "Well, what do you mean? <laughs> What's going on here?" And realized that the heat was on, set on inferno and she was basically roasting the b- birds to death.
1: How many birds is that that Three. she killed? She How many killed daughters two. does she have?
2: Holy fudge. Right? Why would you make that connection? Oh my god. <laughs> ah! <laughs>
1: I didn't notice that the first read, but when I was doing my analysis, I was like, wait, that's a lot of birds. Why did the people say after the second one, hold on, tab out? It's like she killed three birds because she didn't consider the environment they needed to stay alive.
2: And she still. And this play is about Violet to, driving yeah. away
1: three daughters. Oh, my God,
2: that's some amazing Because she
1: doesn't know how to behave towards them. Yeah. Uh huh. I thought that was an interesting bit of symbolism. You were talking in the earlier about what happens Mm -hmm. next to all these characters. And the people I am super curious about are Ivy and Charles.
2: Yeah, me too. Little Charles. Little Charles. You got to you got to say little Charles or she doesn't know. But it also
1: still it still does skeeve me out a little bit. (laughs) I mean, the cousin was like, "Ooh, that's borderline oh well you know it doesn't but you need you kind
2: of need to know what happens because now that she knows how can she not how can she not tell him
1: which is gonna wreck his relationship Mm -hmm. with his dad who's so wonderful and loving and kind of the only good thing other than ivy that's been in his life yeah how could she not tell him i mean i would love her
2: now so then that will be the secret that she harbors for the rest of her life until she finally becomes her own violet. <sighs>
1: yeah, it feels cycle. I'm right I am right on this balance point. It's like part of me thinks she's going to go anyway and
2: no, before, but she has destroyed all No 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 I her, yeah, mean she's Ivy them all. is either
1: going to like just say like push that down and just say I'm going to forget mm-hmm. that gonna not talk about it I'm gonna go off and have my happy life and part of me thinks she won't be able to do it it's so taboo and uh
2: how is she going to get I, I don't out know of bed I don't know I in the morning now that she knows the future now that she knows well
1: and th- this is what we're left with how can Karen really ignore it like the way I, I mean I, that actress is so good who played her in the movie Juliet
2: um, oh Juliet Lewis, yeah.
1: Juliet Lewis, brilliant casting. I mean, the movie is so perfectly cast all around, but the way that she says, as, as she's walking out, and in January I'm going to be in Belize, won't that be nice? And she's crying, and it's like, oh, I know. how long? I
2: thought this. I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing. I was like, how, how amazing. How amazing an opportunity is that as an as an actor, <laughs> as an artist. And she killed it. She
1: That's killed it. How I feel yes. about this whole play. All these parts. What an amazing opportunity. Like, I don't want to experience what these people are experiencing. But no. as an actor <laughs> to go through it. Wow, what an amazing roller coaster to go through night after night. And then be like, whoo.
2: Yeah, shape, shave me and put me in drag. I want to play Barbara. <laughs> I I did want to talk and and it doesn't necessarily have to be about the film but yeah about just the film in general in the fact that it kind of set in this uh, uh, um, iconic performances in the fact that Meryl Streep is now playing the role of Violet but because I was having a conversation with a um, with an actor a fellow actor about how he thought that things like that made um, roles uh, harder or harder for actors to do in auditions and situations like that because people just automatically associate them with the uh, the, uh, the iconic the um, performance that uh, a Meryl Streep would have done.
1: Yeah, you were talking about this earlier. Um,
2: so I, I wanted to touch a little bit more on that. Uh, and I, I, I don't know. I'm curious what people out there think, like what our audience thinks. I feel like with... It, at least with August Osage County, the script, this material, like, if for an actor who really enjoys being an actor, uh, the material, it, it speaks to you, and you have to do it, and you have to audition with it, you have to perform it, you have to dig into it. Like, I feel like it's a necessary uh, uh, thing for for an actor. Um, so I think in spite of uh, an iconic, perhaps, Meryl Streep performance. I still think it's necessary for an actor to do it, in, you know, in spite of that. I don't I don't think it should make it, or I don't think an actor should um, feel like it's harder for them.
1: I don't think um, anybody should ever be yeah. afraid of a text if they have a connection to it. I remember when I sang at Mimi's, one of the women that I worked with, who is <laughs> actually now on Broadway, um, she used to sing Don't Rain on My Parade. And I remember the first time she went up to sing it, I was like, oh, that's the Barbra Streisand song. Nobody sings that. And she was so good. And I was like, oh, if you're if you feel a connection to something, if you think you can put your heart into it, pour your talent into it, go for it. Who cares if it's well known? I think honestly. It's a little bit riskier to do something where people have preconceived notions because they will see mm-hmm. other people in those roles. But if you do something different, if you bring a different life to it, that'll stand out. They're like, oh, I had not thought yeah, about reading. I feel like that, that connection way.
2: that you have—that is what—that was what distinguishes you from any other actor. And yeah, that's what you yeah. should explore. And that's what I. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just wonder if people out there feel the same or feel differently or, um, yeah, uh, uh I. I'm not surprised that you feel that way.
1: (laughs) Community Voices is the part of the podcast where we get to showcase your thoughts and insights. This can be reactions audience members have had to the conversations we're having on the podcast, themes you see in the text, ideas you have about production, or elements you feel like we overlooked.
2: This week, we are sharing a voice message sent in from my friend, Elizabeth Burke, a.k.a. Liz Burke, uh, in response to this episode, August Osage County, where she is going to share her hot takes on the episode. Now, we were hoping to have Liz on the entire episode, but a scheduling conflict kind of prevented that. Mm. But um, we will look forward to having her on a future episode for the full episode for the full episode but she has shared her hot takes about August Osage County and here they are hello please leave a message after the tone
3: hi this is Liz Burke and these are my hot takes from August Osage County The first question is, what do you think is the best thing about the show? I think the best thing about this particular play is that it's raw, it's real, it's heartbreaking, it's ugly, it's honest, and it's not really a happy ending. You know, I think it reflects many of... Our families, we're born into our families. We didn't choose our families. What we can choose is how we react to our families. And nobody in this play, except possibly in the beginning Beverly, reacts well. Everybody's a mess. Everybody is wrong. Everybody's hurt. But they never discuss why. They just fight. They fight and they're mean to each other and they talk over each other. And there's a push and pull of control. And I think that reflects a lot of families. So that, I think, is the best thing about the show, is it reflects our discordant realities. Another question is, what do you see as a biggest problem with the text. Well, there's a lot of overlapping conversations and if it's not done well in a performance, you're going to lose a lot of what's happening, especially as they come into the funeral dinner um, and they're all coming from different places. or all separate but together and they're just not listening. So it's important when this play is produced that that scene is very carefully directed because the text is, is tough and getting the right feel for this these interlapping conversations is really hard so my favorite quote from the play is from barbara and it says thank god we can't tell the future we'd never get out of bed so true it's like asking do you want to know when you're going to die no of course i don't i would never get out of bed and if i were to work on the show what production role would i want i would be really interested in the lighting of this show because there's a feeling in this house of oppressiveness it's dark the windows are taped it's hot it's it it reflects the inner turmoil within the characters it's just it's depressing it's hot it's oppressive so I would do I would do lighting. And which character in the play is most like me? Oh my God, I would hope none of them. But if I had to pick one, I don't know, probably Ivy, I think. But then, I mean, she dreams of going to New York. She wants to go to New York. She picks her cousin who's not her cousin. But I don't know if I would... I don't think any of them are like me. I'm just going to flat out say it. Maybe I'm just not that self-aware, but I I say none of them are like me. Period. Thank you, and thank you, Ricardo, for inviting me to do this.
2: Thank you so much, and I, oh my God, yeah, I absolutely um, I, I am so appreciative of you sending that in, and we can't wait to have you on the episode, uh, another episode in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Liz. If you have thoughts or reactions you'd like to share, we would love to hear them. You can either send us an email at readmoreplayspodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com, post your ideas on our Read More Plays Facebook group, or you can send us a voice message like Liz. Uh, instructions are on our website, readmoreplays.com.
1: And finally, to wrap up, we want to talk about what this play is about The goal with all deep looks into a play is for the artist or theater goer to be able to answer for themselves the question of what they think a play is about. It's where ideas for productions come from. It's how a play lives on in our hearts and minds after the lights go down at the end of the show. And most importantly, it's where we get our own sense of knowledge about a play rather than taking the thoughts of someone else's because we all get to decide what a work of art means to us. So what does this work of art mean to you, sir?
2: Uh, I think August Osage County is clearly a play about family. It's a play about catharsis. (laughs) Uh, It's a play about the truth. It's a play about uh, what happens when we hide the truth. What happens uh, when the truth finally comes out. Um, it's about addiction, um, it's about suicide, it's about infidelity and incest. Mm. Um, it touches on racism. Um, it really, really dives into what we do um, when we love someone and what we do when we fall out of love with someone. Um, it, it dives into marriage and death and um uh, contractual relationships that you might have with someone um <laughs> when that aforementioned love has uh fallen away and addiction has taken over um y- y- it deals with cancer uh it deals with mothers and daughters it deals with sisters um it's uh it's a play about generational baggage and what happens when we deal with it or not deal with it, uh, um, yeah, it's 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 a lot, and it's it's ultimately an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> hmm. What is it? What is it about for you?
1: I think this show is about intergenerational trauma, um, about how love can be fierce and funny, and still not enough to keep you from damaging those you love. Um, I think it's about loving someone and no longer being willing to pretend the toxicity isn't there. We talked earlier about how difficult it can be to go into watching a show that's so painful and like why go through this pain at all. And I kind of feel like Tracy Letts is giving us our own <laughs> little Christmas carol here. One of the saddest things that I could think for, that could happen to someone would be for them to come to the end of their life and to be entirely alone. To love people out in the world and have them all choose to stay away. <laughs> the title of this play is based on this sad poem of a woman at the end of her life, but she's surrounded by grieving loved ones. And the play itself shows us a woman who loves a great many people who, so traumatized she pushes all of them away. Violet is not ending this play set up to be surrounded by loved ones crying as they say goodbye to their beloved mother. Violet is alone, save for Jonna, this woman her husband hired to take care of her so he could go off and end his life knowing his wife would have someone paying the bills and feeding her. When you watch this play, you see this ensemble of wonderful, regular, good-hearted people who are all banged the up by trauma and they're hurting the people they love as a result so this play is like jacob marley rattling his chains at us, telling us get some therapy you too might be hurting the beautiful people in your life it is not too late you can be good to them you can change the narrative <laughs> be better be kinder hold on to love ah. <laughs> So, yeah, it's about it's about how we all can get hurt and how if we don't do something about it, we're going to hurt other people. So get out there and heal. You've been listening to Read More Plays. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and maybe Twitter (laughs) to see all our posts related to this and other episodes, as well as post your own comments about August Osage County. (laughs)
2: If you like this episode, we would be so grateful if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way for us to reach new listeners which we really want to do you could also tell a few friends about us so our theater community I'm can come and join the
1: community of incredible people who are supporting us on patreon it's where we post bonus content like video clips of extended conversations we had while recording each episode what our analysis and research for the show looks like bloopers from our recording sessions and more
2: this episode of Read More Plays was produced by me, Ricardo Frederick Evans, Jennifer Sassaman, and Samuel Fitzwater-Bachart. Our theme music is by the incredible Kaylin Harewood and additional music provided by Bob Sassaman. That's my dad. We'd also like to thank Elizabeth Burke for her Community Voices message, as well as all the amazing people who are supporting us on Patreon. We are infinitely grateful for your support. Our
1: next episode will air Monday, December 12th, when we will be discussing the musical The Secret Garden, just in time for Christmas.
2: Where I am sure Jennifer will be singing half the episode.
1: You're probably right. But until then, I'm Jennifer.
2: And I'm reminding you
1: to read more plays. Read more plays. Come to (laughs) Pothoska.
0: It is really hot
2: and see.
0: There's lots of dark scent for you to take. Sorry, it's my medication that makes me go to the bathroom.